Welcome to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we bring the power of prevention to you. I'm Mike Wobshaw, Director of Marketing at Fit for Work, and pleased to be joined today by Forrest Richardson, who I always chuckle when I look at our our Microsoft Teams internal messaging or his email icon. It says uh, Director of Safety Division, and that's it. And then I think about Forrest and his vast knowledge and experience. And I'm like, that is the most modest, humble title for a person who brings so much to the table uh, for us. That, that's one thing I definitely chuckle about. Excited to talk to you and welcome you back onto the podcast today. How are you? Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate you. Yeah. Now, on the topic of, you know, director of safety division, your role with Fit for Work, you know, you also are listed as CSP and ARME. I think everyone knows, can figure out CSP, you're a certified safety professional, but could you explain ARME? Sure. The ARME is Associate Risk Management with an enterprise designation. So typically, you know, there's a lot of folks out there, the ARM, that's common. It's kind of how it started this associate risk management. That was a three-part type certification, which basically focused on the traditional loss prevention model of things, you know, Mm -hmm. and a little bit on recovery. Um, The ARME really focuses on total enterprise-wide risk management. So it really looks at all the different... um, sections or buckets of risk from from financial to you know geopolitical to people which is kind of more your you know processes in hr to the traditional hazard loss bucket which is functionally where fit for work we we tend to support while we affect all those different loss buckets as well okay so yeah interesting yeah yeah well you know one of those then that uh you know, I, I think people hear, <laughs> they hear this and they, they would probably think of risk or would have a negative connotation maybe to it, uh, as unfortunate as that may be, or as, as, um, untrue as that may be, they hear OSHA and it's like, oh, you know, everyone sort of sits on the edge of their seat and starts paying attention. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And the focus on high gravity hazards and instance by instance citations, um, so this was something that you um, sort of pointed out for us as something that's becoming maybe a hot button topic or certainly relevant right now because of some some recent developments. We're going to talk about that here today. And I think maybe the way we kick this off for us is just generally what is OSHA's current focus relevant to citations and penalties and essentially what was the impetus to you pointing this out to us as, hey, so this is something we should maybe keep our eye on? Sure. Um, well, the the Department of Labor announced on January 26 um, that OSHA um, has issued new enforcement guidance to make its penalties a little bit more effective in stopping employers from what they they call repeatedly exposing workers to life-threatening hazards or failing to comply with certain workplace safety and health requirements, Right. Um, the OSHAL regional administrators and the area office directors now have the authority to cite certain types of violations as what they call, quote unquote, instance by instance citations, which they've always had the ability to do. This just puts a little bit more focus and impetus on looking for these types of conditions and activities. Um, and these are cases where the agency identifies what they call a high gravity serious violation of OSHA standards. Now, 
the, their penalty process could take up its own podcast. So uh, for the sake okay. of today's uh, conversation, <laughs> I'd like to try to just keep it to this specific issue. Um, but these are specific certain conditions where the language of the OSHA rule supports a citation for each instance of noncompliance. What that really means is OSHA is just like a police officer in a lot of respects. They have a lot of the same kind of uh, authority and kind of the, how they do things. Um, and so they have to do things by the book. So they have to be able to see what's going on site, figure out a place uh, functionally where it's in black and white in a standard to justify writing that case for a citation. And these conditions primarily with this, this enforcement initiative is looking at lockout, tagout, machine guarding, permit required confined space, respiratory protections, anything fall related and trenching, which often occurs in construction operations. And for cases other, for other than serious violations, it's just another one of their line item, a citation blocks that they can do specific to record keeping. Um, mm -hmm. the, ch the change is really intended to ensure OSHA personnel are applying the full authority of OSHA, where increased citations are needed to discourage noncompliance. And the new guidance covers enforcement activity in general industry, agriculture, maritime, construction industry, so really all of your main four industry buckets. And it becomes effective 60 days from January 26th, so uh, we're right there. Um, the current policy yeah. has been in place since 1990, so this is not really nothing, anything new. What's new it's they're they're being told their playbook is telling them to focus on these egregious willful type citations and those are specific definitions too as well okay so let's talk more about willful violation what what does that mean to you if you're consulting with a client what and they said willful what, what, what does that mean? What do you think OSHA means by that? Yeah, and they, they lay this out in their field operations manual, commonly called the FOM. And you can kind of look at that around chapter six for our listeners. If you want, you can Google it, you can download the PDF, um, uh -huh. you can get there. But basically, a willful violation is something that, um, you know, they knew about it, they had a policy, a program, procedure, maybe they got hit. Uh, buy it on that same subject uh, before at some point in time, you know, so it really means like you didn't have an excuse. The information, you know, it's common in the industry. A good example of that would be um, probably like having an, not having an emergency action plan, you know, for your company. That's kind of a, a really baseline type thing. Everybody knows we should have one, but Again, it's out there. Everybody knows it. It's in the black and white, and you didn't have one when you were supposed to, and they told you about it. Typically, Ocean won't go, what I say, hard in the paint for a basketball term, um, yeah. you know, right to a willful. They usually will kind of get you for a serious, and there, there's a history of noncompliance. Typically, they don't just throw that card out there right away, but they do have the authority to do it where they can. Okay, interesting. I want to go to another, ask you to define what this means. How about high gravity slash serious? You know, this is another one where someone may, depending on what size company they have, how many employees they have, the nature of their work, this could vary for different people, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, um, they do. They have a complex, what they call a gravity-based penalty process. It's a matrix, actually. And for our listeners, again, you can Google OSHA field operations manual, FOM. You can check out uh, chapter six and you'll see, you'll, you'll get to this penalty uh, matrix that they have. But um, 
essentially it's a process before they get to this. So again, just to repeat, we're looking at high gravity, serious violations. So the first thing they look at that, that scenario, that condition, that activity, um, and they kind of base it on a severity of it, you know, so they look at it, how severe, and they, they look at that from the standpoint of their seriousness or how severe something is just a high, medium or low, right? So the definition of a high severity uh, to get to a serious part of their definition is that activity or action, you could have death from an injury or illness or injuries involving permanent disability or chronic irreversible diseases. So you start looking at your unsafe, unhealthful, uh, you know, safety and health activities and try to look at those things from through that lens first. That's what gets you a serious. Okay. The next thing they look at is kind of probability, right? So this is kind of that risk matrix type thing. And that's the probability that the injury or illness will result from a hazard, has no role, um, um, you know, the, the one thing to keep in mind, again, I have to uh, preface this is, the probability that, an, probability that an injury and illness will result from a hazard has no role really in determining the classification of that violation, but it does affect the amount of the proposed penalty that comes down the yeah. road, right? So that's one okay. thing to think about on the probability assessment. So like the, uh, the severity, the probability is either, either looked at from a, a greater probability or a lesser probability. For the conversation today, we're not worried about lesser probability. Your listeners can go yeah. to the farm and look at that. But greater probability is the results um, when the likelihood that that injury or illness will occur is just to be relatively high. So they're going to be looking at a few things. How do you determine probability? They're going to be looking at the number of employees exposed. They're going to be looking at the frequency and duration of that employer exposure to those hazardous conditions, including any overexposures to contaminants. Uh, they're going to be looking at employee proximity to that hazardous uh, condition. So how far away are they at when they're, when they see it? Uh, mm -hmm. What kind of PPE is going on? All right. Is it the right PPE? The medical surveillance program, this kicks in. If you're over any type of OSHA permissible exposure limit, you're supposed to have this think lead, think hexavalent chromium, those kinds of things. Uh, the age of the employees, they also kind of take that into account. Uh, training on the recognition and avoidance of hazards. So they're going to dive deep into the training. Let me see your training. How do you document it? What's your program content look like? Uh, and any other pertinent working conditions that they see. Remember, I said uh, before that OSHA uh, compliance, safety, and health officials, which is what they're commonly known as CS CSHOs, right? Um, yep. They have similar duties and authority uh, as police officers. So Similar to you driving along the freeway, they pull you over. If they see a bottle, open bottle of Jim Beam in your car, well, then they have what they call the plain view doctor, and they can actually go in and kind of look for more, get in the door and show you some more, so to speak, right? Yep. So a good example of this would be a greater probability may include an employee exposed to the identified hazard for four hours a day, five days a week. On the other side of the coin, where an employee has performed a non-routine task and they're only doing it once or twice a year and no injuries or illnesses are on your logs or evidence of that. They're probably going to lean to the lesser probability evaluation side of the coin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. How about let's, let's talk about the element of time here. Um, and I guess two questions and I'll sort of fire them both time between two violations that are the same what has to, what what amount of time has to be in between there where it's this is not a repeat violation and then also the time 
between maybe two different different ones where when does the clock reset where it's like you don't you didn't have a second violation this is a new first violation sure sure yeah so an employer may be cited for a repeat violation if that employer has been cited previously for a substantially similar condition and the citation has become a final order of the occupational safety and health review commission that's a panel of administrative law judges it goes through the basically penalty process and it becomes an order once they're done with it right Okay. Um, there are no statutory limitations upon the length of time that a citation may serve as a basis for a repeat violation in general. So that's, you know, but they do have kind of, uh, it's not really subjective, but they, they give them some guidelines on when to do that and how to do that. Um, so, you know, to ensure uniformity on how they kind of apply that OSHA citations policy is to issue a repeat citation if one. The repeat citation is issued within three years of a final order. So it's been through that uh, Occupational Health and Safety Review Commission process and the order date, and it's all you know current. Or two, the citation is issued within three, three years of that final abatement date So, or of the previous citation. So you get hit with it, you abated it, you did all that kind of stuff. They catch you within that three-year period again, but they really defer whichever is later between those two. So, okay. yeah. And then, uh, can okay. you repeat your second question was, I'm well, sorry. I think, I think, no, I, I think you kind of hit it. You know, yeah. if a given facility is cited for a violation and then you're cited for the same one, how much time needs to elapse between the first and second for them to say, this is a new issue and not, ah, we already got you for this one. Yeah. They you really, uh, there, there is really not a minimum time limit between yeah. the first and second citation. They just use those first conditions uh, for repeat to kind of determine that that's kind of their guideline, how they kind of decipher between yeah. the two. Yeah. You, you meant, you mentioned the term abate. Mm -hmm. What, what does that mean? I guess in for for from your standpoint, what does that mean? But more importantly, what would OSHA define as failure to abate or successfully abating? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's pertinent to this overall emphasis that they're looking at. Um, they're going to really uh, propose an abate, uh, failure to abate uh, uh, using a couple of different things. So you got a previous citation that's issued to an employer. It's become a final order of that commission. So that's kind of where you start, right? You always kind of start there. That's step one. And the condition, the hazard, or the practice found upon reinspection is the same for which the employer was originally cited and has never been corrected by the employer. Example, the violation was continuous. It just never really got permanently fixed. They threw some patchwork on it. Good example, they hit you for a slip, trip and fall type. Uh, a ramp is really slippery because of processes. And you just put a little bit of that 3M sticky tape and your forklifts are going over it, trashes it within 30, 60 days, and it's still a problem. Instead of just resurfacing yeah. it and doing it right the first time. They also look at... The citation must have become a final order of that review commission. The citations become a final order of that review commission when the abatement date for that item passes, provided that the employer has not filed a notice of contest prior to the abatement date. I know we're getting into a little legal eagle stuff here, but yeah. when you do notice of contest, well, that kind of that kind of sustains the whole process or it, it, it keeps it going. So they really kind of look at that final order date. And then that, you know, if it's still ongoing, well, they're probably not going to do that. It's, it's under discussion. And we're working with clients with that right now where they got hit uh, on um, out in California. Good example. California is required to have 
uh, an injury and illness prevention program where a lot of the other states that follow the federal rules, you don't have to have one. It's always good to have, okay. but they hit them on that, but they, they had some things that were like, OSHA said, you didn't have this and like, Hey, it's right here. So they're actually in that, that abatement process and their notice of contest, you know, so they got hit again. And so they told that yeah. second OSHA investigator, um, you know, Hey, we already, we're already working through this and we're contesting this. You can't put that on this new one. So that's a good thing to remember. And employers can review chapter 15 if they need to, that field operations manual on the legal issues. Um, better pack a lunch and, you know, have some coffee with that one. But, um, but yeah. you know, there's only one way to do it is to grind it out. You get through that field operations manual a couple of times. Uh, you're going to know more than you ever really wanted to know, you know? Yeah. Yep. All right. Good stuff. We have more to get to. Let's take a quick break here, though, to learn more about how Fit for Work can bring the power of prevention to you. We'll be right back after this short message. Sticking with the safety topic, is your company at risk for an OSHA, DOT, or EPA violations? You need a safety compliance easy button. And Fit for Work can help. The fines are real and the human consequences can be much worse. Get up to speed quickly and easily by working with our experienced team of safety professionals. We will partner with you to find the gaps, get you in compliance, and keep you there. It's not worth the risk. Reach out to wellworkforce.com and click on the safety compliance button for more information. Welcome back to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast. It's Fit for Work Director of Marketing, Mike Wobshaw, joined by Forrest Richardson. Forrest, you mentioned something earlier uh, in the episode that I want to come back to, and you likened an OSHA inspector or investigator uh, to a police officer, you know, and that hit home for me as the son of a deputy sheriff and as one who's driving around with my kids and we see a police officer it's like you know roll roll the windows down and wave at it you know you look like at it from the, a totally different perspective don't you? i do yeah it's like these guys are the good guys and they're trying to help us you know but i think if you look at it from like oh, i hate when i get pulled over i get nervous whenever i see one so you know you have great experience um, teaming up with these folks, interacting with them, helping businesses navigate the OSHA process. I'd like to get your perspective on that. Like we shouldn't automatically get nervous and scared and curl up in the fetal position when we see OSHA, right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Most of them are, are good people, you know, um, yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, their whole mission is to protect em employees, you know, um, so my experience over the last 20 years is, you know, the same for everybody, you know, I've been in the military, I spent a decade in the military, all of it in combat arms. Yeah. Um, and, and now I've, I've been out longer than I ever was in, but the one thing that I see is it, it's all the same. It's the only thing that changes is the uniforms or the clothes, you know? So, yeah. you know, you're going to have one or 2% of them that might really dig in their heels you know, there might be, they're not the best sharpest pencil in the box. And, you know, they're, they're trying to do something with their position that they shouldn't. And that's common, you know, in a lot of organizations and every organization really, you know, yeah. you'll see that from time to time, but most of them are, are pretty, pretty cool people. And they're, they'll work with you. Um, you know, I, we've worked with uh, their VAP process, you know, as, as they go out with their subject matter excerpts and their special government employees with they, that's a certification that, that like private people on our call. Like if you're a, if you're a, an EHS manager for a company, you can become a uh -huh. special government employee and help, help uh, OSHA bring other companies to VPP along with yours. Uh, we've had the opportunity and the honor to work with them a lot over the years. 
And uh, yeah, so the main thing is have a plan uh, before they show up. You know, we always say yeah. here at Fit for Work, um, you know, the prep work is done every day. You know, it doesn't start yeah. when they show up at your door. And yeah. so just having a basic plan and working things out in a manner that makes sense over time. OSHA is not really an employer's problem. This is my personal, you know, viewpoint and experiences. It's strictly from a dollars and cents standpoint, they're not really the big hitters. You know, I mean, yeah, they, uh-huh. they're increasing some penalties and those can be, you see the shock ones on, on the, on the, on the hot sheets, if you will, on the, you know, on the different websites, but Really, I mean, um, relative to EPA fines or really even the, the real big issue is the legal liability issues that come from it that we know that we're struggling with. You know, everybody's struggling with that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I say don't fear OSHA. Work with them. They're already there. Utilize their experience. Get all the information. Learn everything that you can. Recognize your rights through that process before they show up. Have a plan. And then work to make the changes. And for whatever technical competencies you don't have, reach out to your local organizations, reach out to, um, you know, your networks, your insurance folks, uh, the safety and, and health associations that are out there. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there willing to help. Yeah, including, uh, including fit for work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know? that's, that's our passion. We just want to be able to kind of help make things make sense for people. Yeah. I, um, how about the, you know, the penalty amounts, yeah. uh, are those changing? Are those new for 2023 is cause, cause you mentioned maybe a, an increased or different focus as a change. How about penalties? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know it seems like the national debt ticker on these penalty violations, cause <laughs> yeah. they, keep going, they just keep spinning. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in 2023, they went up 7.7%, you know, and that's on top of, you know, the real the real cost of inflation when you factor in fuel and, you know, food cost and everything. So, uh, and they do yeah. this, they have this, they, it's called the federal civil penalties inflation adjustment act. So it's a, you know, $50 handle for just basically saying they're going to go for more money. And they look at this yeah. every year. So a serious violation, which is typically, you know, looking back at what we were talking about, you know, you've had some experience with it. You got a policy program, whatever, you're not doing what you say you're doing on paper, or there's some functional real elements missing. They're probably going to hit you, you know, if it can involve a permanent or disabling, you know, partial you know, disability, you're probably going to be hit with a serious, and that could be potentially $15,625 per violation. Yeah. So serious violations other than serious violations and posting requirements have the potential. And again, this is not a threat, um, you know, issue. It just is what they publish. It's not likely unless you've got a history of things that they're going to go, like I say, hard in the paint and hit you with that right away. It's going to be probably a lot less. Plus there's other penalty reduction factors that you can get based on certain things. The failure to abate that we mentioned before, that can be 15,625 day uh, per day beyond the abatement date. So, Typically, by the time you get the letter in the registered certified mail, you know, you're on the clock. You're not on the yeah. clock when they leave your site. You're on the clock when you actually get that certified registered letter from them. And then, you know, and then you then the abatement date is in there. And then, you know, beyond that abatement date, if you didn't get it, they start they can hit you for that. And okay. a willful, we mentioned a willful violation before or repeated 
if you meet those two conditions for repeat, I don't violation, even want to hear that number. <laughs> it's 156,259 per violation. So yeah. these are, these are just kind of what they post as their general, Hey, this is what you can. It's not necessarily what they will do, but you know, depending on your history and things or what's going on in your region, different things amps them up and gets the fire ants kind of going. Um, yeah. And with this new emphasis on them looking for case by case, I really, Mike, I look at it like this. Look, the, the federal government is, you know, it's a broadsword. It's not a scalpel, you know? And so like all of their different divisions, the Department of Labor and OSHA underneath that is no different. They got limited yeah. amount of resources. These fines and citations that they get, the actual money dollars goes into the general fund. It doesn't go in, into any one region and they don't have enough of it. So, uh, and you see this, there's politics that comes into play. So as the pendulum swings both ways, you know, the perception is, well, maybe the last administration was too business friendly and we didn't hit this enough, or we had COVID, which is kind of what we did now and okay. their, and their ability to do onsite inspections and the revenue dollars that came from that was cut almost in half, you know, Yeah. now they're making up for it. And we're hearing a lot of chatter from our clients and like, man, God, I got hit by OSHA, DOT and FDA all in the same week. Well, they're all yeah. in the same bucket. So, you know, they're going to, they are, there is a push, a dollar driven push to do this. It's not fear. It's just me. I'd rather take it in the chest than have it in the back, you know, yeah, just yeah. get ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. So, you know, flippantly forest, I would say, uh, my recommendation is to give fit for work and forest a call here. That's, that's my <laughs> recommendation, but, um, what, what's a more maybe measured or uh, formal response. If I said to you, given everything we've talked about the instance by instance citations, including all of the aforementioned examples of that, Forrest, what's your recommendation to, to people listening? If they're not, maybe they're not currently a fit for work client, they don't work with you or our team every day, how to get a handle on, mm -hmm. on potential program procedure gaps and how to avoid these problems, stay in compliance and keep those conversations with the OSHA folks about the weather and your favorite sports team <laughs> rather than, you know, injuries and violations. Right. How do you do that? Right. It's true. I mean, none of us can do everything all at once, you know, so uh, we always recommend taking just a measured strategic risk management approach by looking at the relevant standards and programs that you, that you have, and then look at them through the lens of how mature they are and how critical they are to, uh, in terms of negative potential, negative operational impact at scale for your organization, and then seek help for any technical competencies or resources that you lack. <clears throat> for example, excuse me. Um, you know, you take, um, you know, you've got everything. And if you've got a, any kind of uh, enterprise-wide risk management da uh, dashboard, this is going to help you. Those are great tools. But if you don't have anything like that, just take a look at your operations and what you do. Now take a look at, you know, what they mentioned they're looking at for this case-by-case -case or instance-by-instance -instance citations. Look at lockout, tagout, look at machine guarding, permit required if it applies, respiratory if it, uh, protection if it applies, falls, trenching, and those kind of things. Keep record-keeping in there as well because that's on okay. the radar with this. And just look at, score the, score the program a basic, uh, how mature it is and how critical it is to your to your operations. So a real simple one, you know, just a, how mature is the program? One, two, three, or four, you get a one, give yourself a one. If you got, you've done any required assessments over uh, for that topic that are required in black and white. So right now we're focusing on what you have to have, not what you want to have. So just focus on the black and white of what you have to have with all of this. So you look at that program and say, okay, well I'm in warehousing, you know, 
and distribution operations, but I still got a lot of OSHA stuff going on. I'm going to look at these problem, these these topics here. Most of them might not apply. Probably the biggest one on their list, their target list is going to be maybe lockout tagout because I got conveyors like think Amazon, right? Okay. So yeah. I'm just going to look at it. How mature is the program? I'm going to give myself a one if I've got all the the, the written program, the procedures, and and, and I've got a, a resource identified, a leader that's going to be identified to help me run that. Maybe several. I get, I get a one, but nothing's been done yet. I just kind of got all the materials, assessments. I kind of got everything ready to go. That's a one. Two, you got your resources trained. So the, when I say resource, I mean leadership. I'm not a big title person, and I recommend everybody kind of, yeah, titles are great. They help with our understanding of who's who and what's what. But at the end of the day, all leadership are, they're resources, you know, to, to their employees and the company, right? So when I yeah. say resource, that's what I mean, you know. Um so the program resources been trained. You give them whatever kind of tune-up training that you need. You got managers on board with their basic awareness. Hey, this is how we're going to roll. This is why and how we're going to do it. And you've covered your basic employee training done. You know, your basic awareness training, any kind of equipment, you know, training. You get a two, right? Now it's up and mm -hmm. running. A three is you got a process in place to include it's sustainable. So you got new employees rolling through the door. How are we going to train them before they get to the floor? Any kind of equipment that's required for that program, they have it like lockout, tagout. They got their locks, they got their tags. Any equipment inspections that you're supposed to do, those are being done. You know, that's a three. And the, okay, it's it's you know the program is is functional when you get a three. You know, things are functioning right or well. And you get a four if you just got a feedback system in place, and you can identify any kind of crazy gaps that are going on in a timely fa uh, fashion. So if you got a fatal or catastrophic hazard that winds up in one of those hot topic programs, you want to be able to at least put in protective measures for that within eight hours, four to eight hours, right? And for the rest of it, 48 hours to 30 days, we're going to get this thing fixed. You know, now some might be, you know, from an operational expense standpoint, you might have to push that further along in the year. But as long as you got your controls in place, you do the best you can. So that's maturity. The rest you just look at, you know, give yourself a one, two, three, or four based on that. Business critical. Hey, if it's if that program is required to sustain your operations, like Amazon running conveyors, yeah. Lockout tagout is going to be high on my list from a risk management standpoint. Uh, they got to have that. That that thing's got to be going right, you know. Um, yep. But it's required to sustain your business operations. So it's it's really a, a, a secondary thing that goes on to keep you going uh, and you can get a fatality or serious injury or penalties or fines you got anything going on with that it's a core program if it's something you have to do because it's a black and white thing but it's not what your primary business is think hazard communication that's a good one you don't sell chemicals but you use a lot of chemicals and you gotta you know you gotta put that in there again that's a baseline example but there are others that could fall into that and you get a three if it's improvement. So a near miss, a six sigma, six S, you know, six safety system, any kind of questionnaires, incentive programs, you know, if, if that's kind of the function of that program, you give it a three. So you scored the program on how mature it is, one, two, three, or four. You scored on the crit, how critical it is to your business, one, two, or three. Once you get it, you multiply those for each, each program you're looking at and you work on the highest ones. Once you have all the high numbers, you still got to kind of look at it and see which one you want to pick, you know, for the sake of our conversation, we, you know, this is a, as about as simple as you can do it, but it's, it's called a maturity criticality score. It's a way for you to kind of start to get your hands around the basic stuff. And again, if you've got a dashboard or EHS dashboard, this is going to help you tremendously. But if you don't, 
Come up with a maturity score for yourself, one, two, three, or four. Come up with how critical it is, one, two, three, times those, and yeah. work on the highest numbers first and work your way back. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very, very good way to do it. I mean, that's systemic. That's organized, you know, and. And it ties into your business I, I, needs. I mean, that's you're, you're focusing on yeah. the ones that are actually directly or indirectly can significantly impact your ability to, you know, generate revenue, you know, and your yep. process yep. standpoint. Yeah. And I would say, you know, you know, that is a, a great thing to do. You can do that on your own force. Just explained it. I, I think for more consultation and more advice, information, guidance, reach out to fit for work. You can do that on our, on our website, wellworkforce.com, or you can find Forrest uh, on LinkedIn and, and we can, we can provide more resources and more help in that way. But for folks, Forrest, who may want to stop, they're going to stop listening here in a minute. And then this is going to be on their mind. Where can they go to find more? Uh, not, not so much what I just said about how we can help them, but if they just want to read up on this, you know, if they want to become more educated on OSHA, where can they go? Sure. Uh, right now, while it's at the top of the Google feed, you can just Google Department of Labor Announces Enforcement Guidance, you know, and it's yeah. probably going to come okay. up at your top because it's already, you know, uh, all the metrics are designed. That's all. It came up on the top of my feed. Um, and that will have all the links. Basically, you hit that. That'll be right to the Department of Labor's announcement of what we all talked about. Some of the same information mm -hmm. you'll hear. And then it'll have the links to the instance by instance penalty adjustments, how they're going to apply, and all the stuff that we talked here today. You can do a you can do a, a tune up on all that as well from there. Awesome, great information for us. Really appreciate your time and and for joining us. Uh, great in, great insight and great info. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. You bet. And thank you all for listening to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, to learn more about Fit for Work and our services, visit the website, wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives.